said to them, Shall I go up to battle against Ramoth Gilead, or shall I refrain? And they said, Go up, for the Lord, as Yahweh, will give it to you in the hand of the, the king. And But Jehoshaphat said, Is there not here another prophet of the Lord of whom we may require? In other words, Jehoshaphat realized these guys were compromised at best. And the kings of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, There is yet one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord, Micaiah, the son of Imlah, but I hate him, for he never prophesies good concerning me, but evil. And Jehoshaphat said, Let not the king say so. Then the king of Israel summoned an officer and said, Bring quickly Micaiah, the son of Imla. Now the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, were sitting on their thrones, arrayed in their robes, at the threshing floor at the entrance of the gate of Samaria. And all the prophets were prophesying before them. And Zedekiah, the son of uh, Chinana, came to him, for himself horns of iron and said, Thus says the Lord, With these shall you push the Syrians until they are destroyed. So they were probably one by one using props, different things, trying to telling Ahab that uh, the Lord is behind this effort. And all the prophets prophesied so and said, Go up to Ramoth Gilead and triumph. The Lord will give it into the hand of the king. And the messenger who was went to summon Micaiah said to him, Behold, the words of the prophets with one accord are favorable to the king. Let your word be like the word of one of them and speak favorably. So you already see what's going on here, right? We've got compromise with the word of God. And Micaiah said, As the Lord lives, 
what the Lord says to me, that will I speak. And when he came to the king, the king said to him, Micaiah, shall we go to Ramoth Gilead to battle, or shall we refrain? And he answered him, Go up and triumph. The Lord will give into the hand of the king. But the king said to him, How many times shall I make you swear that you speak nothing to me but the truth in the name of the Lord? So clearly, he says this very sarcastically, uh, it's happened before. Um, he's going along because that's what expected of him. But but Ahab knows better and, 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 and says no. Even though he doesn't really want to hear it, he says, tell me what you really believe, what the Lord said to you. Um, verse 17, and he said, I saw Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, these have no masters. Let each return to his own home in peace. In other words, you're going to die. And the king said to Jehoshaphat, did I not tell you that he would not prophesy good concerning me, but evil? As if it's Micaiah, not the Lord, right? And Micaiah said, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, and all the host of heaven standing beside him on his right hand and on his left. And the one, and, and the Lord said, who will entice Ahab that he may go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? And one, <clears throat> said one thing and another said another and then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord and said I will entice him and as the Lord said to him by what means and he said I will go out and will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets and he said you are to entice him and you shall succeed go out and do so now therefore behold the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these your prophets the Lord has declared disaster for you and then Zedekiah the son of Achinah Chinana, or something like that, came near and struck Micaiah on the cheek and said, How shall the Spirit of the Lord go from me to speak to you? In other words, you know, you're contradicting me, so who says you're speaking for the Lord? Micaiah said, Behold, you shall see on that day when you go into your inner chamber to hide yourself. And we'll stop there, you may be seated. But basically what he's saying is that on the day that you're fearing for your life because Israel is lost in battle and either Jezebel or the king of Syria is after you and you're hiding, uh, you'll know, of course, that what I said is true. So basically he says time will tell. So very interesting, especially because we get this unique look at the throne room of uh, God and what's going on there as the Lord does his will on earth through in this case, not just angels, but I think it's probably demons as well. In other words, uh, remember in the Old Testament, you had fallen uh, angels who still had access to the Lord. All right, so let's just first of all review some of the things you talked about with uh, Namath's uh, vineyard. Uh, we saw one mark of idolatry and the rejection of the Lord is selfishness and disregard for others. We've seen this, of course, with Ahab. Uh, we also talked about the inheritance of Israel. The land was, was Israel's inheritance under the Old Covenant. They received what was promised to Abraham. But once the covenant was broken and they forfeited their right to be there and so have no reason to assume there is a future promise concerning it yet to be fulfilled. In other words, it's a stance I take. Those who believe that Israel still has... Uh, will, will still someday indwell Palestine more than they already do. I mean, I get it. Evidently, God's going to get, come down and there's going to be even a, another kingdom. But the problem is that was Old Covenant 
In other words, an old covenant inheritance. And we're not under the old covenant. Israel's not under the old covenant. It's passed away. So that should kind of speak for itself, it seems. But obviously that's something where Christians differ. When God's people suffer, the Lord is on the throne as he always is. Our duty is not to question his ways, but to seek to be faithful in them and find reward later. Uh, we, we talked about this quote, yes, God will take care of the Ahabs in the world, but in the end, at, at the end of the day, in this case, Naboth still lies in a bloody, broken heap. It is God's will that sometimes Christians suffer, and they suffer horribly. But that is, does not in any way lessen what the Lord is doing for the sovereignty and his goodness. Elijah was not a, Ahab's enemy because he told him the truth, and this is true for us today. People who are honest with us are our best friends. That said, uh, every once in a while I come across somebody who thinks that it's their job to tell everybody the truth no matter how it's received and no matter how it's said, right? So that's not to say that there is a place for tact and love and everything that is true doesn't need to be said out loud. But if someone is honest with you, that's a blessing as opposed to someone who just tells you what you want to be to hear. And, of course, that is obvious with the pastor, for instance, but it is true of anybody. And so those are some of the things that we looked at last time. Um, we, this is the, uh, this last chapter of the book is the third example of Ahab's sin. Remember, that's been one of the things that we've been seeing here uh, in these, uh, with Ahab breaking the covenant. Uh, we, the last three chapters give examples of Ahab's sinfulness and, and why the Lord is, re- is finally rejecting them. Uh, but it's most amazing in light of what has just happened uh, and exposes that his repentance was not a saving kind, but one of convenience. Remember when, when, he, when Elijah told him because what he did to Naboth, he's going to die and his sons are going to be removed from the throne. And he went away sorrowful and repented, and the Lord said, okay, I'll do this after you, I won't make you see your sons die before you, I'll do that after you, you die. And I, I see commentators who say, well, you know, it, it, it here it appears that Ahab, Ahab has repented in salvation, but I think that's just uh, kind of being a little naive. And so I think we see an example of that here. Now, before we get too far into this, let me just... Uh, say a little bit about Jehoshaphat. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll see a little bit more about him later, but if you go and you read the accounts of First Second Chron- uh, Chronicles, you'll learn more about him. But he was a godly king. But he makes two, you know, bad decisions in his reign that are recorded for us. And here's the first one. Later, I think I have a, I'll tell you later. <laughs> anyway, um, he has uh, made a couple of bad decisions here. Um, and uh, in this case, he's compromising with uh, Ahab. And the, the, what will happen is that a prophet will come to him. In fact, uh, I have it right here. It's, it's 2 Chronicles 19. But Jehu, the son of Hananiah, the seer, this is Jehu the prophet, not Jehu, a later king, went out to meet him and said to King Jehoshaphat, should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? He's talking about him going to battle with Ahab and, and, and kind of treating him like he's a, a buddy. 
Because of this, wrath has gone out against you from the Lord. Nevertheless, some good is found in you, for you have destroyed the Asherah out of the land and have set your heart to seek God. So he was he was certainly one of the better kings, but he had a couple of issues, and this was one of them. He compromised with Ahab. Later on, we find out that he actually uh, gets a wife or his, one of his sons from Ahab, one of Ahab's daughters, uh, and uh, that's not good. Um, so we find out that when he says this, he he repents and uh, he he goes out and he and he brings about a lot of good reforms in the land, spiritual reforms, because the Lord sent the prophet to kind of rebuke him. At the end of his reign, when, when, the, when, when the son of Ahab is reigning, he he forms a business relationship with him uh, to, to uh, have a bunch, to build a bunch of ships to go and trade, to kind of do what Solomon did. But the problem is that he's, he's made another union with uh, an idolater of the northern the king from the north, and uh, the Lord promptly uh, on the on the maiden voyage promptly destroys all the ships in a storm, and that's the end of that. And so Ahab gets it, and or excuse me, uh, Jehoshaphat repents and all that. But it just reminds us that sometimes you know we make mistakes and we do things. We fall into sin, or we we just do stupid things. But you know, just like Jehoshaphat, we repent. And we move on. And the Lord uses Jehoshaphat in, in a lot of great ways. Again, if you go and read the account, especially in Second Chronicles. And so it's not just because you, you follow the sin, or just because another church member, another Christian follows the sin, doesn't mean the at the end. And well, you're done, and I got nothing to do with you anymore. No, repent and move on and forgive and, and, you know, and we see examples of that, that the Lord doesn't write somebody off just because they have done wrong if there's a proper response. So, so Jehoshaphat, just in and of himself, is an interesting character and things to learn there. But clearly, in this text, the word of the Lord and how it is received is is the main point of this passage. What I read, right? So, while this is primarily about Ahab's rejection of the word, it also shows something about how people. God's people can let the world begin to influence them above the word of God. And we see Jehoshaphat with this who's compromised. Because he's compromised, think about what's going on here. He's become close with an evil king, one of the most evil king in the the northern tribes, right? And he says, okay, I want to hear from a good prophet. The prophet comes, the prophet says, this is not going to end well. And what does Jehoshaphat do? Oh, I'm all, I'm out of here. No, he goes with them into battle anyway. So um, it's 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 about our response to the word of God. We see it with Ahab's response. We see it with, even with Jehoshaphat to some degree. Although Jehoshaphat does later come around, um, and and I think because he's compromised, he's lost a measure of discernment. No, when, you, when you grow close to the lost in, in, in a way that is not good, when they have uh, they have influence over you, you've compromised to the point where you've lost a certain amount of discernment. So now you've you've put you've elevated them to a position in your life in which they have a some influence over you, more so than they should, more so than the Lord does, perhaps. And that's what I think is going on here. But it's it's just a good example for us to. To think about our relationship with others, 
doesn't mean we don't have relationships with lost people, but we've got to always have our guard up and always understand who they are. And I'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment. Um, we don't want to be too cozy with them. And that's what's happened here with Jehoshaphat. Um, we are to take the gospel to the lost. We are to spend time with them, hoping to reach them for Christ. But we don't become close friends where we start to take counsel from them. And, 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 and to be very careful in those relationships. It doesn't mean that a lost person doesn't can't give good counsel on certain issues. But we're talking about issues uh, where they would be compromised. Um, so, it's interesting too, as I said, you got 400 prophets, and you would think Jehoshaphat surely knew that um, about the account of what happened on Mount Carmel, Carmel with the uh, 400 prophets of Baal, right? And so here, they've got four, they call 400 prophets, and even though they weren't prophets of Baal, in all likelihood, Oh, I think he, that's pretty obvious. You would think that the wheels would start turning, and he would start to see similarities here. 400, 400. What happened to the 400 prophets of Baal? Well, they all got killed. And so, I don't think I want to listen to them. And maybe that's why he does call for a real prophet. But he, he doesn't seem, he, he's let his guard down for sure. Um, Jehoshaphat knows they are false, so he asks for a true prophet. And of course, Ahab doesn't like Micaiah because everything God has to say is against the will of rebels, and, and Ahab is a, is a rebel. So it's everything that, that the Lord says uh, brings conviction upon Ahab, so he doesn't like to hear. Uh, never mind that the word of the false prophets might be wrong and, and will result in death and defeat. Ahab, as, a, as all lost people are, is more concerned with doing his own will now. And so you think about it. He would rather call a preacher, let's just say he's the he's a in a church, in a modern day setting, right? He would rather call a preacher who is going to tell him what makes him feel good about himself, rather than one who comes and says, Thus says the word of the Lord, right? And that will never end well. And so he's certainly an example of that. Many don't like frankness. They don't like dogmatic statements, especially in our day. To be dogmatic is to declare there is there is truth and there is falsity. And in our day and age, that is the worst thing you could possibly say. But it, but it doesn't matter because the only reality is the reality that God has set up. Um, you know, you, people can live in whatever fantasy world they want to. But at the end of the day, when Christ comes back and we stand before him at the judgment, that's the reality of things, not the, the, the fantasies of this present age. And so, this is the third time that Ahab has called faithful prophets his enemies. So we saw it in chapter 18, verse 17, chapter 21, verse 20. And now here, um, he refers to them as his enemy. Remember last week, when Elijah found him at Naboth's vineyard, he said, oh, you have found me my enemy. Well, why? Well, because you don't. You don't support me. And is that kind of what it is today? If you don't support me, you're a hater. You hate me. If you disagree with me, you hate me. And and we see it today, you know, especially with the whole trans movement and, and the LGBT and all that stuff. It's not that it's it's not okay for you to disagree with me. You must 
affirm what I'm doing. You cannot say anything against that. And that's exactly how uh, the lost want it to be. They, they don't want to be told that they're doing anything wrong. And, of course, you understand how that just knocks the props out from underneath the gospel. Because the gospel is the good news that you're a sinner, but there is a way to uh, have your sin, the guilt of sin removed, right? But if, but if everything you're doing can't be referred to as sinful, then what do we need a Savior for? So our message will never be received favorably until God changes the heart of the lost. But we also want to make sure that we uh, don't just look outside of ourselves, but how do we receive God's word? You know, how do we come? Do we say, you know what, I want to know what God's word says. We pray that. We say, Lord, help the pastor today to to preach faithfully what the word says. Help me to receive it. We have the hearing hearing ears, and uh, not to reject it because I don't like it. And, and uh, there's a lot of Christians that, that don't do that. And, and and we all, you know, everybody has erred. None of us understand the Bible perfectly by any stretch. But I, I've met people who they have decided who God is, and they refuse to delve into the word of God to perhaps learn something differently about God. And maybe about salvation. And that is a, that's the death knell for a Christian to say, you know what, this, I, I, I have, this is how I, I think things, want, this is how I want things to be, and I don't want to get any deeper in the Word to find out whether I'm wrong or not. And so, <clears throat> this, this idea, this, it's seeker friendliness, right? It's, uh, we're religious, but it, it all revolves around my will. I read of a church that was forming and it sent out flyers to attract new people, which to me is kind of a big red flag anyway. And it, had, it said it had several things to offer them. One of them being a non-judgmental atmosphere. Now to be sure, as Christians we want to have a loving atmosphere. We, we don't want to have an atmosphere where we expect people to be perfect because that always means we think we're perfect, right? So we don't, that's not right and, and certainly Christians have done damage by being judgmental in an ungodly, unloving way. Okay, fine. But you, when you read this, you know immediately what they're getting at. They're going to refrain from making people feel guilty to feel bad about themselves, right? Um, and so what can the ministry of God's word, word look like in an atmosphere in which you don't say anything to offend people? Especially in light of 1 Corinthians 1, when it says the gospel is offensive. You know, there's certain passages that just cannot be preached. This passage can't be preached. Listen, the, the, we want to be positive. But the only positive thing a lost person needs to hear is that God has provided escape from the wrath that you are under. That's the good news. The good news is not that you're okay, I'm okay, God loves everybody. That's 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 uh, misleading news. That's false prophet news. <clears throat> now, once we come to Christ, things really get positive. Then, in one sense, because as we grow our understanding of the Lord, we, we understand His love towards us and what He's done for us in Christ. Our great reward that we have. Uh, you know, there's a lot of positive things about Christianity, but the, the gospel uh, is negative before it's positive in that sense, right? But God's word is not always pleasant 
Because sometimes it exposes the sin that remains. And so even for a Christian, we know that sometimes we need to hear things that we don't, that our flesh doesn't like to hear, that we're not maybe as, as holy as we think we are sometimes, but we need to hear that. And if we have the right attitude, we can change and it, it can be a, have positive effect in our life. But in verse 8, Ahab's word assumes that the preacher has the right and option to preach only those things that are pleasing to our ears. That's what all these 400 prophets come and, and they're told right off the bat, just like Micaiah was, uh, this is what he wants to hear. <clears throat> um, but this ignores whose word it is. This isn't our word, it's God's word. It's the unchanging word of God. This isn't just telling uh, us what the weather's going to be like tomorrow. Uh, it matters to the soul. It matters to our eternal soul. It's the unchanging word of God, and, and a true prophet understands that. And so you think about, you know, I, I mean, I go, uh, I meet with a young couple, perhaps. They want to get married. One professes to be saved. The other one clearly is not. And you tell them that, well, the, the scriptures, God's word says that you cannot get married. And they had planned on uh, attending your church. They have family in your church. That's why they're there to start with. They have family in your church that, that give a lot of money to the church. And, and if you won't marry them, it, it's possible that you're going to lose them. So what does a preacher do? Well, there's a lot of preachers, a lot of elders, leaders in the church who would say, well, you know, we got to do what we got to do. Or you can stand up and say, thus says the word of the Lord, take your lumps. And, uh, you know, hear well done, thou good and faithful servant, in, in the day of judgment. Um, there are a lot of pastors who wouldn't give a second thought to burying them. And it's a temptation to preach and do the easy things that are always there. That's the lesson here, I think, from God's word in this passage. You know, it's no coincidence, and, and this is really what's going on here. This is this is dealing with the occult in a sense. These are these are prophets who were, I think, in many cases, demon possessed and certainly demon influenced. I think again, is when God sends this lying uh, demon down to uh, bring about Ahab's death. He's putting a lie, and, and they're whatever they're doing in their worship. They, he's he's going to tell them uh, what to do. It's a lie, right? And so it's no coincidence that psychics do the exact same thing because that's all the occult. It's all demons. Uh, yeah, some of it is just fakery, but it's a lot. But it's not all fakery. You know, people who think that they can. They have a familiar spirit. I, I don't have any doubt that they think they're talking to somebody. The, the problem is they're not talking to who they think they're talking about. They're being deceived. Not just some dead person out there wanting to do good. Right? So what do they do? Well, when you come to them, they say, in your past life, you were Abraham Lincoln, or you were Cleopatra, you were some famous person. They don't say, you know what? You were a just a poor boy who died at the age of 12 from the bubonic plague. And that's just, of course, if you're talking about someone who believes you had a past life, of course, that's just nonsense to boot. But they always tell you something that strokes your uh, pride, your ego, right? No one wants to say, well, you know, you you were just uh, just a poor person over there in some obscure country, and that's all you ever were. 
No one wants to hear that. The palm readers don't say, uh, you know, for the next five years, you are going to have misery, uh, great losses in store for you, your health is going to uh, go bad. They wouldn't make any money. They, they tell them what you want to hear. You're going to have a long life. Riches are coming your way. You're going to meet someone tall, dark, and handsome, whatever. Just like in the passage here. They, they come and they say, Ahab, you're going to have a successful campaign uh, all as well. Because they, they'd lose their support, just like Mekhi had. And, of course, Paul talks about this. Um, well, I didn't, I didn't, I'll, I'll just skip here, I'll go back here. Uh, I didn't put this on the screen. Second Timothy 4, familiar passage, where it says, The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. Uh, idolatry is making a God likened to yourself, right? And will turn away their ears from the truth. And that's exactly what's going on here. This is just the Old Testament version of that. They, they look for preachers who will tell them things, good things that, that, they, that will not do them any good spiritually, but will stroke their ego. So obviously, Micaiah is contrasted with these other prophets in a good light. And so there's no excuse to listen to these guys, but except that uh, it's, you're, you're, you want to be tickled. So Ahab consistently does this. And so, you know, his judgment is sure. We learn from verses 13 on that this is something that Ahab and Micaiah have constantly done. They're familiar with each other. They've been through this before. He he, uh, is parroting sarcastically the other prophets. You say, well, you know, why would he do that? Well, I think because it was clear to Micaiah the whole situation was a sham. So, you know, Ahab's not going to listen to him anyway, so he just says, yeah, dude, uh, I, do go up in the battle, you'll be fine. And, and Ahab knows he's lying. He doesn't, that's not what God has said. But he's going to reject it anyway, and Micaiah knows that. So it's all a pretense, a ruse. Ahab is playing church. He's playing with the Lord. He's playing with the word of God. He's not going to change his ways. And so that, again, is it, something that we want to take seriously. We To come here and to to not listen or to not take the word of God seriously is going to come back on you at some point. <clears throat> this is a great case for the total depravity of man. And so in verses 20 through 23, uh, this uh, Micaiah goes beyond just saying that, you know, what's going to happen when you go out in the battle. He, he gives him a little behind the scenes uh, view of what's really going on when those Prophets are telling you that you need to know that they're being influenced by these uh, demons sent from the Lord, and the Lord has given him a behind-the-scenes look at this, and yet that doesn't do any good either. Where, in fact, you see, we're seeing the very throne room of God, but really we're seeing two throne rooms, right? Because we've seen these two kings are sitting there on their thrones, and, and there's uh, splendor. Ahab, in particular, we're seeing his heart's throne. There's the Lord. And, and then we see Ahab rejecting that and doing what he wants to do. He thinks he's free to do as he wishes. See, he thinks he's hearing from these guys, and then now it's my decision what I want to do with that. But no, when, when Micaiah told him the word of the Lord, that was uh, 
there was only one response that Ahab had, and that was to not go up into battle, to obey the Lord, take his advice. But he doesn't. <clears throat> and so he decides his fate in his rejection to the Lord. And so it's not the Lord hasn't deceived him. The Lord just basically said, sent a lying tongue because he's dabbling in the occult anyway. Uh, well, I'll say dabbling. He's full blown into it. He, he's listening. These guys have been lying to him. So the Lord just says, okay, tell him another lie. And because he's not going to listen to me, he's going to believe you. It's, it's, the Lord hasn't deceived him. It's like, remember, we saw with uh, Ahithophel, the counselor to David, who turned and, and joined with Absalom. And Hushai came. Uh, David said to Hushai to give uh, Absalom some bad advice. Well, he actually, what he did was he gave him really good advice, but he, he did it in a way that stroked his e- ego. And, uh, well, no, excuse me, Ahithophel, the, the bad counselor, gave him good advice. Um, and Hushai comes along and gives him bad advice, but but, it, but bad advice that stroked uh, Absalom's ego, that allowed Absalom to get the, the glory. And he went for it, even though that was the bad advice. And that's kind of what's going on here. God lays out two options that, uh, to him. What's well, Absalom? And pride gives him, uh, make, causes him to make the a bad choice. And uh, so that's what's going on here. But unlike in Second Samuel, we're given a uh, what's going on here from God's point of view that He's actually directing things. In other words, it is, it's His attention that Ahab's going to die in battle, and He doesn't force Ahab to believe a lie. He just puts this out, uh, and Ahab uh, jumps on it because it's something that that Ahab only cares about himself and. And that's what happens. And many have stumbled over these these kind of details, these pictures that we see here. Because it seems like, again, if you don't really think things through and you're not careful, it seems like God is deceiving, even with though he's used the secondary causes. But not really, since, like, like I said, Ahab is <clears throat> being told what's going on. <clears throat> and God doesn't always, you know, that's this is the only time we really read it, something like this. But he, but what he's what he's showing here is not that God is tricking Ahab. It's just that Ahab, because you have rejected me and you're listening to these uh, people who uh, hate me and they're not right prophets, um, then I'm just feeding into what you do. This is what you do. The Lord is simply demonstrating to us how much sin has a hold over our hearts. And remember, we are taught very clearly in God's word that he he is free to lay any temptation before us to test us. Remember, James says, Lord doesn't cause anybody to sin, but he does give us trials and temptations in, in, in a sense of trials to test us. Think about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It was not God's will that Adam and Eve sinned. He told them that he didn't want them to do that. But it was there so they could prove themselves. It's a trial. Not to get us to sin. It's a trial so that we can show who we truly love. Sinners always choose the alternative. Because they're sinners. And uh, we think we have freely chosen, but we've merely done what 
uh, our nature wants us to do, whatever pleases self. And so, because the sinner's choices are always made apart from consideration of God's will, Ahab does what God knew he would do, because Ahab loves himself. <clears throat> and so, it's the principle of sin at work. So, never get tripped up over here. Remember, uh, these people hate God to start with. So, he just lets them have what they have, but he, he, he lets them have what, what, that, what will ever accomplish his will, ultimately. And clearly, it makes no difference to Ahab whether he knows God's will or not. Uh, here, you know, I say, what kind of tells him what's going on behind the scenes, and, and Ahab should have said, well, uh, this is a lying spirit that's told these guys that. I'm not going to listen to them, but no. Um, <clears throat> we understand, of course, that God is sovereign over all things, all people, and I think this is a good passage that helps us understand what's going on in our text, in Job 12. With God are wisdom and might, and he has counsel and understanding. If he tears down, none can rebuild it. If he shuts a man in, none can open. If he withholds the waters, they dry up. If he sings them out, they overwhelm the land. With him are strength and sound wisdom, and the seed and the deceiver are his. He takes away understanding from the chiefs of the people of the earth and makes them wander in the trackless place. They grope in the dark without light. And he makes them stagger like they drunk a man. So, if, so sin has made us all stagger in darkness. And if the, it's the Lord's will to let someone just continue in that and go their own way, and He doesn't do anything to bring them back, that's His problem. It's not His fault. He, he's doing His will in, in the course of man. But it's just a, a good. There's no thing, whether it be physical, whether it be the weather, whether it be a person's heart. Uh, the, a person's actions, God is in control of all of it, yet without sin. And we are responsible, and, and I think these verses kind of help us, well, with our text today, explain that and, and what's really going on. <clears throat> and again, it's not our place to say, you know, I don't like that. I, I like to think about it's all having a free will, and I'll decide my own destiny. Well, uh, no, you can't do that, because... Um, that's not what the Bible reveals. We we are here to accept the word of God. And uh, that's what we want to do. So, notice that God doesn't ask the saints here, to the spirits, to entice him to sin. But to uh, tell him a lie so he'll go to a sure death. And it, the Lord's time for Ahab to die. So he lets this evil spirit speak to his pride and get him to do just that. So Ahab hangs himself. And uh, he's certainly um, not something the Lord's fault. You guys can come on in. If you want, we're just having a Sunday school. I'll just finish it up here, so you can come on in if you want to. But uh, again, in verse 24, we have no excuse then to be fooled by false prophets from those who clearly do not believe and exercise the word of God. Because they don't, the facts don't add up. They don't mesh with God's word. Uh, when, when someone does not teach God's word and teach things contrary to God's word, then we have a responsibility as Christians to reject that. And we, we see a lot, all these examples here with Ahab. Um, one last thought here in verse 29. It says, So the king of Israel, Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went up to Ramoth Gilead, and the king... Uh, of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, I will disguise myself and go into battle. 
but you wear your robes. Now again, this shows that Jehoshaphat evidently, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't playing a full deck, maybe, I don't know exactly what's going on here, but he just saw, he just heard that Ahab's gonna die in battle, and Ahab says, I'm gonna disguise myself, and you act like the king, and Ahab, okay. But of course the problem is, the Lord has already said what's gonna happen, so this doesn't come to fruition, but, because it says a random guy just pulled back a bow and sent it into the crowd, and uh, hit Ahab, who is disguised, and Jehoshaphat uh, escapes with his life. And it's, imagine, it's hard to imagine why Jehoshaphat would fall for this, but remember what we've been saying all along. He's already in a compromised position. And uh, so he's not thinking clearly because he's letting the world uh, be the influence in his life. And so they look at lost people and even sometimes lost family members, and they are loyal friends. You, you, know, you, you can have an unsaved father who would give his life for you, who would give you the best wisdom he knows, but he's unsaved. So there's there's always a, a limit to, when, he, when he's talking to you, there's always that limit to say, well, you know, Dad, I, I respect you, I love you, but you, you don't love the Lord, you love yourself. And, you know, I'm not saying you, like, you necessarily have to say this, but in our in our minds, we're saying, you know, mother, if you don't love the Lord. I, I realize when you say this, I can see where you're going, and I, and I see it's contrary to Scripture. And, and that's what a mature Christian does. They're able, no matter who they're dealing with, it is God who has first place in their life, not loyalty or, or friends and things like that. And, and so we got to keep those things in mind. Uh, people who live for different things will they'll always be deficient in their advice to us. And so to be too trusting will get you in, in compromising situations, which only the Lord can get you out, which is what happens here with Jehoshaphat. But, you know, we, we know that we are to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. We are not to be gullible fools and rush in where angels fear to tread. You know, we all, everybody gets taken advantage of at times, and, and as I've said before, as a Christian, I'd rather be taken advantage of, you know, sometimes, than to go the other way and just kind of suspect everything. But the but the Lord said, we are to be wise as serpents. We are to be strong in the word of God so that we can see what's going on around us and see what people are doing, see what they're saying. That's what you have, you know, the church elders for, to help you perhaps, and hopefully the, the elders have enough experience to be able to be helpful. But, but that's part of the Christian life, to grow, to, to not just, you know, carelessly go through life without thinking things through and comparing everything to the Word of God. That's that's the, the secret to victorious Christian living, to, to be strong in the Word so that I don't let uh, sin uh, destroy me. And so Ahab disguises himself, but he's killed by a random arrow. While Jehoshaphat, as we've said, is not perfect, just like his father Asa. Asa was a godly king, but he had some issues. We've seen Jehoshaphat's issues. He wasn't perfect. But he, overall, he was a good king. And I just wanted to stop there. I'll, I'll stop there today just reminding us that he, he built up Judah. He felt flat on his face a couple of times. But he got back up. He repented when the Lord sent a prophet. 
and he kept on going, and he did good. So be encouraged that, well, you know, I've, I had a, a bad past. I did something in the past that I that, that was bad, and, and, and so now I don't think the Lord can love me, or, or you know, I, the Lord can't use me. There's no example of that in Scripture. Anybody, everybody we see in Scripture, none of them were perfect, but they all knew how to repent. They knew how to keep going. As Paul said, forgetting those things that are behind, he presses forward. Be encouraged that the Lord can use us all. If we're, if we're children of the Lord, if we're saved, he can use you no matter what situation. Perhaps you do have a very bad, unsavory past. But now you then have a unique position to help others, maybe to save your children from that, or others, you'd be, be a good influence because you've gone through something like that. So there's, there's just no situation that God can't use us. And so we are thankful for that. Uh, as we close, any questions or comments? Our Heavenly Father, thank you for your love to us this day. And as we head into the second service, we pray, Lord, for your blessings. May you open up our hearts to receive and to understand the word of God. That we might be transformed by it. Pray that we might grow in our faith and our love for you. Pray that Christ might be exalted in all that we do. Help me to be clear, to be accurate uh, in uh, what I say. And may you be uh, pleased with our efforts today. We pray for those who are not here today, that you might keep them safe as they travel. And we look forward to all being gathered together again next week, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.